Man, welcome. We're so glad you guys are here. We're going to be, uh, for the next couple of weeks, winding down summer, we're going to get ready to go into a study on the book of Acts. It's going to be a lot of fun this fall jumping into the book of Acts. But before we get there, I want to take some time to talk to you about one of those ought-tos. Y'all know in church there's a lot of ought-tos. There's a lot of things you ought to do. We just don't do it. Oh, y'all already don't want to talk to me? No, you ought to. If you want to get to lunch on time, you ought to talk to me. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of ought-tos. We know that we're supposed to do it, but for some reason, the things that the Bible says are to be irresistible and consistent in our lives often seem to be irresistible, are are very resistible, and easy to not do. And probably one of the biggest ones is this thing called prayer. You and I are called to pray continually. We're called in the book of Philippians that we're not to be anxious about anything, but that feeling of anxiousness is to be a reminder that we have a Father that we're to pray to. And so instead of being anxious, we take that feeling and we turn to God and we pray. Yet for many of us, we find more comfort in being an insurance adjuster that thinks about every possible bad thing that could happen and prepare ourselves for it instead of praying to God and trusting in his guidance and wisdom and the answer that would come through time spent in prayer to him. Prayer is tough. A lot of people, just like Kanye, hadn't talked to God in a long time. We're afraid. We're we're afraid to turn to God, talk to God, pray to God because of different things. We're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing, that God will be angry with us. For many of us, even though we are in Christ, we believe God's posture towards us is one of anger. And he's displeased with us and angry, and we've got to make it up to him before he'll ever hear our prayers or pay attention to us and respond in a loving way. And so in the middle of the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in chapter 6 takes the time to teach us to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to spend two weeks looking at it. It's in between some teaching on how to give to your neighbor, because believe it or not, there's an expectation that if Jesus is king of your heart, You are without the prompting and guilt of the preacher, naturally generous to your neighbor. Just going to let that sink for a minute. The guy that's in the backyard that you've never said hey to, that you drive by, how y'all? Generous to your neighbor. Acts chapter, because I'm getting ready to preach the book of Acts, I'm studying it a lot right now. Uh, I believe it's Acts chapter 17, Paul in the Areopagus, which is a place that had many gods in it. He said, for, uh, for, for God appointed the times and places for which we would live so that no one would be far from God. So you are in Christ an appointment so that people who are far from God would not be that far from him. Man, that that was really good. That didn't happen in first. Someone needed to hear that. You're an appointed by God in this time and in this place so that someone who is far from God wouldn't be that far from him. Christ in you would work. The glory of God would be seen and your neighbor would be loved well. But believe it or not, there is a way to love your neighbor and be generous to your neighbor. And there's a way not to be generous to your neighbor. He gives us some insight into that. The second thing that happens on the back end of chapter 6 in between this prayer, just to give you context because I'm a preacher and I overstudy, is that he addresses how to not be possessed by your possessions, which is not applicable to any of you who have this week treated your kids as if they were a lesser possession than the car or as if your kids were a lesser possession than the house and they were the problem in the possession, which actually may be pointing to a bigger problem, and that's that the possession possesses your heart. And so Jesus talks about where your treasure needs to be so that you don't possess the wrong things in your heart and you steward what needs to be stewarded 
and you understand how to live open-handedly towards things that shouldn't matter as much as they do to some of you. But I'm not preaching to anyone in particular. That was someone in first service, surely. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, he then in the middle teaches us how to pray. Welcome to four points. Verse 5. When you pray, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray. Do you see the frequency of that term? It's the third time we've seen it in a few verses. I believe that's meant to get our attention. When you pray, that's assuming that it's going to happen. Maybe more than dinner. Maybe more than when you're in traffic and in a crisis. Maybe before you get to the need, you already were praying, so it's not a stranger conversation like, hey, God, it's been a while, but I just want to check in because there's some things that ain't happening the way they're supposed to be happening, and God's like, oh, got your attention, huh? When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Since he does, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. Let's break this down. There's two don'ts, and then there's a do. There's two don'ts, and then a do. The, the first don't is don't pray like a hypocrite. That's what we see in verse 5. Don't be hypocritical in your prayer. And we like to rag on that in church culture, don't we? I'm not a hypocrite. That's why I go to that church. Or I don't go to that church because they're hypocrites. Here's the problem. All of us are hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Everybody's a hypocrite. You're all hypocrites. Okay? Do some hypocrites annoy you because they act like you act too much? And they mirror to you your hypocrisy, and it drives you crazy. And so you like to distance yourself from them so you don't have to look in the mirror of what you look like to other people. So the invitation is, in the text, don't pray like a hypocrite. Verse 5, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who, what's hypocritical prayer look like? Pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Now, is this a condemnation over public prayer. No, listen to the point. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. What's their desire? Their desire is not condemning public prayer, but it's saying there are some that only pray publicly because they, on, they only want to be seen by people around them and be thought of as being pious and religious and super spiritual when in reality they're none of the above. Don't pray like the hypocrite. Jesus' comparison in the first verse, is to not be hypocritical. The hypocrite prays to be, I want you to see this, seen by people rather than to be seen by God. See, for many of you, you, you want to be seen by people in, in your best moments. And you want to make sure that your worst moments are concealed and covered up. But 
For the believer, prayer is about being seen by God. It's about getting in the presence of God. It's about getting in the throne room of God and being heard by the God who is over time and all authority and reigns as the living, reigning, and returning one. So my question to you is, when you pray, do you pray to be seen and heard by others or do you pray to be seen and heard by God? Is it about what others think of you and that's why you get really spiritual and you put a lot of thou's and fathers and doctor up your language and... Or, or is it actually about the fact that because of Jesus, by the Spirit, you've been given access 24-7 to the throne room of the Father, and as a child, you have the opportunity to pray and be heard in His ear. And when you don't know what to pray, because of Jesus, by the Spirit, Romans teaches us that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and speaks for us what we don't know to speak, and the Spirit translates for us what we don't know to pray. If you're a believer, you can't pray wrong. The only thing that's wrong is not praying. If you're a believer in Christ, by the Spirit, you can't pray wrong. You are in Christ, and by the Spirit, you've been given access to the Father. We pray by the Son, through the Spirit, to the Father, and we are promised and invited to be heard in His ears. You see, the hypocrite is about a performance. The objective of prayer can be to be seen by people or it can be to be seen by God, but it often can't be both. If your objective is to be seen by God, then you don't have to worry about being seen by the public eye. For the eye of God can be on you in private. So it's not about where you pray. It's not about who's around you when you pray. It's just the fact that you are in Christ, therefore you get to pray and your prayer is in the ear of God. The Father. You see, this text is a warning against intentionally drawing public attention to yourself to look religious, spiritual, and pious. It's a prohibition against personal prayer done openly for the purpose of recognition. You see, hypocritical prayer is the desire to appear pious, needy, and spiritual, while in reality, you're none of the above. You don't want God. You're not desiring God. You don't want to be heard by God. You just want to be heard and seen by people. Therefore, people will pity you. People will think highly of you or more of you. You see, in Jewish culture, there was a society that was set up where the Pharisees were to be the example of spiritual practice. If you wanted to look like what it meant to be faithful, you would watch what the Pharisee did and you would do accordingly to their example. As a result, throughout the day, there were formalized prayer. In the middle of the day, there was a time of prayer. And many Pharisees would find themselves magically on the busiest street corners in that time of prayer. So they could be seen in the busy places, turning towards the temple and praying and appearing to be pious when all they were doing was uttering meaningless words that they weren't thinking about and they didn't mean. Speaking prayers that they didn't expect God to hear or to actually answer. And this is what Jesus is addressing in the beginning of this first don't. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't pray to be heard and seen by people and not to be heard by God. You see, in the Pharisees' culture at this time, their prayers had become formalized, repetitive, regulated, long, overdone, and for display purposes only. Genuine, genuine prayer had been replaced with a spectacle. And instead of pouring out the heart, thoughtless words covered up the reality of a callous and cold heart that had drifted from God. Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers, said, hypocrites don't love God or prayer. They love to be seen. And for many of us, we love being seen in the seats of honor and in the church space. But in private, 
we're distant from God and we never personally worship God and we never actually draw near to God because our religious acts have become a compartmentalized area of our life for people to see and applaud. So don't pray like the hypocrites. That's how you don't pray, number one. Number two, let me make sure you get this. Your private prayer life fuels the public prayer life. Because I pray in private, I'm equipped to be helpful in my prayers in public. Look at what the text said again. I love it. It says, uh, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. I love choirs. Anybody love a choir? Like a good choir. Like I love a good choir. Like you give me a good choir, open Bible, spirits moving. Like I'm, let's go. Like I can do that all day. You give me a Gaither homecoming, I'm, I'm there. Like let's go. Can he, could he, would he, you know? Can he, could he, would he? He's a can he, could he, would he with the Well, can he? Okay, I love a good choir. It's not the point. The point's not the Gaithers. The point is my favorite choir is the Georgia Mass Choir. Anybody ever heard the Georgia Mass Choir? Okay, we got a few people. One of my favorite things that the Georgia Mass Choir will do is they'll tell you a story, and then they'll invite you to sing a praise in the story as God moves. So in this story, in my favorite choir song that's out there, it's a story about a couple that's driving down a road and a big storm came up. In the middle of that storm, they wrecked. And they found themselves right in front of these white people's house. I don't know why they included that in the 1991 recording of this. It's on YouTube. But it was some white people's house. They had wrecked. They was hurt real bad. They was injured. They was injured real bad. So they carried them up to the house. They asked for the phone so they could call the doctor. So the injured are late in the house. They're calling the doctor. They can't get the doctor on the phone because the doctor is away. Grandma's out in the car. And after some time and some commotion, Grandma comes to the door and she knocks. The owner opens the door and she says, can I come in? And the owner says, yes. And she says, can I use your closet? And the guy's like, you can use my phone. <laughs> I already told your, your, your family they could use my phone. She said, no, I need a closet. I need to go call my doctor. And so they open up the coat closet and Grandma goes in. And in the song, Grandma begins to sing. Come on in the room, yeah, come on in the room. Jesus is my doctor, and he writes down all of my scriptures. Okay, okay, some of y'all are freaked out, and you just need to get over it. But here's my point, here's my point. Grandma didn't need to be heard by people. Grandma didn't need to be seen by people. She needed to be seen and heard by God, so she needed some space where she could get along with God. And that's the heart of prayer. I need to get along with God. I need to get along with God. It doesn't matter if you see me. It doesn't matter if it makes you comfortable or uncomfortable. I'm not trying to talk to you right now. I'm trying to talk to God. And that's the heart of prayer. So don't be like the hypocrites that only pray to be seen. Be like Grandma who's got a prayer closet <laughs> And she don't care if you ever see what's prayed in that closet or written in that closet, but that's where she's doing business with God. N number two, it says don't pray like a babbling Gentile. I call it praying like a sorcerer. Look at what verse 7 says, and you'll get the idea. It's not Harry Potter, although some of you like, got really excited, like, ooh, it's going to talk about Gryffindor. No. Okay, so um, verse 7, look at it. It says, when you pray, second one, assuming this is a common practice in your life, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Don't be a babbler. Now, is this a condemnation of long prayers? Some of you are like, every year we gather around the table at Thanksgiving, and that one person always prays, and the mashed potatoes get cold because they will not wrap it up. So I'm so grateful I came to this church where they gave me a verse to tell them to summarize. Or God, we're thankful for all of it. You don't need a hams, rams, like we don't, you don't need that. You don't need to name it. 
Okay, just, just for all of it. Amen. Good food, good God, good grief, let's see. Is that, is that where we're at? No, it's not what's going on. Let me explain the heart of this. If you go all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 18, one of my favorite stories is told. It's the story of Elijah and the bell priest and the altar build-off. Anybody remember this? No, okay, well, let me really read you in since none of you want to go to lunch. Uh, they, there's one priest of God. There's hundreds of priests of Baal. Uh, they uh, are, Baal is the God of the day in Israel. Elijah comes and he says, all right, here's the deal. If your God is real, then you build an altar. Call for your God to send fire from heaven and light that altar on fire. But because my God is real, when your God doesn't light your altar on fire, I'll build an altar. We'll drench it in water. I'll look to God. I'll pray a direct, simple prayer because I'm praying to a God who can actually hear me. And he'll send fire from heaven and he'll prove that he is God. So the bell priests take him up on it. And what do they do? Hours of babbling, believing that if they accelerate the passion with which they pray, the words in which they pray, and even the sacrifice they're willing to make to pray. At one point, they're cutting themselves around the altar, thinking that God, their God would see their blood and respond. It's the blood of Jesus that the Father responds to, not the blood of man. It was just like a nugget. It was just right there. It's like, oh, yes, it's fun. Um, at one point in time, Elijah looks at him and says, speak louder, maybe he's asleep. Hmm. And at the time of the evening prayer, Elijah prays this simple prayer, and God moves. Why? Because he was praying to a God who was actually there. You can pray to a lot of things. You can look to a lot of things for answers, but everything is limited in authority but God the Father. You can, you can be like, man, I just need you to pray. You can, you can tell me. Man, I need you to pray for me. Okay, I'd love to do it. I'd be humble to do it. But man, you can take yourself to God the Father. You don't, you, we have a high priest. His name is Jesus, not Russ. And you have access to the throne room. And he's invited you in. You can take yourself. And sometimes you need prayer support and you need people around you. But let, let me just remind you that you don't, you don't need any other advocate other than Jesus. And he's already made himself available to you and given you access to the Father who is above you. So, so don't babble. Don't don't be a babbling Gentile. What, what do they do wrong? They, they pray believing that their repetition, if prayed in the right order or way, and frequency will render an answer from God. That's what the bell priests were doing. If I do this right, long enough, in the right order, like God will hear and he'll have to answer. You see, it's formula, not genuine thought. And prayer is not about a formula, and it's not about a posture of self-righteousness. It's about you explaining, I have unrighteous thoughts. I have unrighteous things happening around me. I'm struggling. I'm weak. I'm in over my head. I'm praising you because I need to be reminded that I'm not self-sufficient, and I've got enough talent that I could convince myself that I don't really need to be desperate for you. And so I'm praying to remind myself that I need you right now. And so it's not a moment for you to cover up. It's an opportunity for you to uncover your heart and lay it before God. And while your words don't need to just be rambling, thinking that you're going to say something that's going to manipulate God to moving, you need to understand that you've been invited to unveil your heart before him. And that's what genuine prayer is. It's not formulaic. It's honest. It's rated R more than it's PG and G. Because some of y'all, you're like, I got rated R problems and I'm trying to communicate them in a G way to God. And I'm not telling you, you need to just say whatever you want and go hood on Jesus. But I am saying that honesty is what the Father is after. I'm getting in trouble with that one. Some of y'all are going to misapply it. And you're going to be at Thanksgiving and your mom's going to be mad at me. 
But Pastor Russ said, right in our prayers. No, don't do that. Culturally, during Jesus' lifetime, he lived in a Greco-Roman culture that was polytheistic. They had many gods that they would worship and serve. And the belief of the day was that if you uh, pestered the gods enough, they would answer. So their gods were kind of like insurance adjusters or appliance dealers after you've given them their money. And they don't, not that that's applicable to anything I'm dealing with, who, who you pay for the appliance, it comes out of the box, it's broke, and then they don't want to like take responsibility, like it's not ours, it's yours. And I'm like, no, no, you sold me this in a box, broken. And so now I have to call you every single day. And if I annoy them enough and, you know, get to the point where I'm like, I'm going to tell everyone and tackle anyone that, ever, that I love that comes to your appliance store that they shouldn't come. Like if, if we get to enough annoyance, then finally they'll do something about it, which is the way a lot of us view prayer. But that's not how prayer is to be thought of. Many of you in this line of thinking say, if I pray right enough, then God will hear me. No, you'll be heard because the blood of Jesus was enough for you. Many of you think, if my thoughtless words are prayed in the right formula with enough frequency, it'll cause God to hear and act. That's why I call it sorcery. You're not doing an incantation. You're actually having a conversation with the living, reigning, ruling, and returning God. See, the verse talks about, in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble. That word in Greek, babble, it's actually talking about anxious mechanical words. The Lord's Prayer can become anxious and mechanical if you don't stop to think about it. It's not bad to pray the Lord's Prayer, it's bad to pray it mechanically. For it not to sink deep within you that you have a Father who is in heaven, who is holy, whose kingdom is coming. I mean. That, that should saturate whatever you were seeing with a new vision of the God that is reigning over everything that you're currently facing and challenging and having challenging your life. So we don't pray like a babble. We don't pray like a hypocrite. How do you pray? How do you pray? Well, verse 9, pray like this. We're going to look at this first verse. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. We'll talk about the function of prayer next week. We'll look at everything that comes after verse 9, but let me break down just those three magnificent words that are in verse 9. We have a name that we're talking to. His name is Father. He's not a stranger, and you aren't a stranger to him either. You're his child. I love the story about Roman culture. It was a Roman belief that if you were, and Paul uses the word adoption, since you were the adopted sons and daughters, you heard that term? It's a great, great term. Paul used it under the, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit for a reason. The reason, I believe, is that in a Roman culture, uh, you could, if you had a child by natural means, disown them because you didn't know what you were getting into. Some of you thought, that's a really good rule. Right? But in Roman culture, if you adopted someone, you could never give them back. You could never get out of it because you knew exactly what you were getting into. And the idea is God adopted you through Christ Jesus. He knew exactly what he was getting into, and he's not giving you back. Therefore, you have a father who is not like your earthly father, who we're going to learn what kind of father he is in just a minute by the seat he sits in and the character that he lives and walks by. But he's a father. That means he's not a stranger, and he loves you. And if you were in Christ, you've been called his son and his daughter, and you've been invited. His name is not angry father. He's our heavenly father. Many of you, your view of God is that he's always angry. He needs to be pleased. He's always looking to smite you until you do something that makes him go, oh, I'm not going to throw one at you today. I mean, like, that's not how God views you. This is what's amazing about this word. 
it invites you to start by recognizing in prayer that who you're praying to is someone that actually likes and loves you. And for some of us, that's really hard to deal with because we feel like the way that we're living, the habits we're keeping, have made us unlikable and unlovable. And I want to introduce you to what real love looks like. You see, the Father loves you in covenantal love, not contractual love. Many of you have experienced contractual love. Whenever you are fulfilling the contract, you're loved. Whenever you break the rules of the contract, you're disowned. It's not the love that God has offered you in Christ Jesus. He's offered you covenantal love. Covenantal love doesn't stop whenever you run away. It seeks you out when you stray. It's the kind of love that welcomes you home and dresses you back in your clothes because you may have gone prodigal, but you nevertheless were always a son. So call me whatever you want in my first name. That describes where I've been. It may describe a season of life I've been in. But at the end of the day, because of Christ Jesus, my last name is Son because he's welcoming into his kingdom. And if you're in Christ Jesus, that's who you are. You are loved, accepted, forgiven, received. Oh, am I making you uncomfortable? Some of the religious people get really uncomfortable about this because you're not talking about God enough. No, no, no. I'm talking about God and the way that he loves you unconditionally, without merit, by grace. At your worst, his love is constant. At your best, his love is constant. He is consistent in his love towards you. So when you pray, start by reminding yourself that I'm not an orphan and God is not distant from me. He's not separate from me, but he loves me. Dare I say, he likes me in Christ Jesus and has accepted me into his family. So I go into the room not as a peasant requesting of a king, but as a son talking to his daddy. Oh, I'm going to get some of you Baptist Pentecostal before it's done. Don't worry. Stick around. Stick around. Word of God is good. So you come with him as Father. And then what's the next word? Our Father who is in heaven. So we're like, that's the problem. If the Father was here, it'd be easy to pray. But he's up there somewhere, and he's often absent. And it's like I'm chasing something that's always just ahead of me. And so whenever I'm in a time of crisis, how can I know that God is near to me? Because he's up there, not here. And, and this is the, the complexity and the beauty of the gospel. And this is why I love what we have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is reigning over time, outside of time, not confirmed by time, but in control of all of it. He's Alpha and Omega, and he's over it, and he promises that when he intervenes, he does so for the good of those who love him according to his will and his purpose. Let me just remind you, God's not on your time. He's on his time. He's always an on-time God, not to get too bad to Costa about it because I could sing a song, but he's always on time, reigning in authority over time. And here's the point. Uh, just in a couple weeks, we're going to have my favorite season of the year come. It's going to be fall, y'all. Everything's going to get a pumpkin and a spice, and I'm good with it. Everything in my house is going to start smelling, and I know there's a countdown to this weird thing called the same movie made by Hallmark week in and week out that my family's going to have to watch on Saturday nights if I want a good marriage to the glory of God. There's another thing that's going to happen. On Saturday mornings around 12 noon, they're going to spot the ball. And the game's going to be played on the field. And Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers are going to ascend upon Death Valley 
with a song that shakes the Southland, and the game's going to be played. It's also Carolina's favorite season before it starts because it's a season of hope. Great hope. We got a transfer quarterback. You still playing the SEC, you're going to get crushed. It's, it's, <clears throat> but we're on the Shane train. Yeah, it's a small one, and, and Alabama's going to step on it like an elephant. It's going to be brutal. And But hope away. Hope away. Here's my point. There, there'll be a game that's going to be played on the field. And from time to time, the refs on the field are going to get it wrong. And in that moment, there, there's going to be what seems to be an injustice that's taking place within the lines. And so they put in a rule several years back that when that happens, you can call up to a booth that has a different perspective and a different angle. And that booth will take what's been called on the field and they'll decide whether or not it's going to stand or be overturned. Oh, I got a preacher's point right here. And so the appeal goes up and the box looks, and then they determine what the standing call will be. But when you pray to your Father who loves you and likes you, who is seated in heaven, you appeal to the booth. He has a different view. It's not to say that he's absent. No, no, no. He's promised he would never leave or forsake us. He's given his Holy Spirit inside of us so that we would be equipped for every good work that he has called us to do, that we would be enabled to do what he has called us to endure through and overcome. So he is near, but he is there, and there he sits in authority over time. There's no authority under his authority, so all authorities bow to his authority. And there's lots of things that happen on the field down here that we don't understand. It blocks our perspective. It makes us question the character of God. It makes us question the goodness of God. It makes us begin to wonder if we'll ever see the faithfulness of God on this side of eternity ever again. And prayer is given to you as the weapon that reminds you you're loved, you're liked by a father who sits in authority and he still has the call. So so don't be discouraged whenever the call doesn't go right on the field. Don't be discouraged whenever it seems like injustice is going to reign. Because the just one is in the booth. And it's his job. And in the end of time, he has promised that all of it will come before him. And he will overturn what has been pronounced unjustly over you. And he will move on our behalf. So heaven is not to say God is absent. It's to say that God is in authority. And everything that's happening under that authority stands under under his authority for his good and for his name. So we pray to the Father who is seated in And here's what's key. His name is... See, you can come and talk to me all you want about your problems. But I'm like you. I'm fallible. I'm limited. I have significant uh, caps on my capabilities. But when you pray to the Father who is in heaven, He's not like me. He's not limited. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. So when I appeal to the Father, by the Son, through the Spirit, I'm going to the one who's set apart, who doesn't think the way I think, who doesn't act the way that I act, who has a view that's bigger than the moment that I'm viewing right now in my time and place and struggle. This gives us confidence as Hebrews would say, to to draw close. If imperfect people have drawn close to the perfect God by the Son, 
of the Spirit, then you and I, imperfect people, have been invited as sons and daughters to draw close to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is not like us to give us an outlook, a perspective, and at times miraculously step in on our behalf for us and do what we've not imagined to be possible. So here's my question. Do you pray? I mean, do, do you pray or do you just worry? Do, do, do you pray or do you just try and control everything? Do, do you pray or do you just try and fix it as if you're self-sufficient and can carry that weight? Do you pray? And, and if you do pray, do you actually believe you're being heard? Do you actually expect God to speak? If so, why? Because you've been a good boy or girl and you made the right list? Or do you understand it's because there is a Savior who has walked in your shoes and by His blood you have been healed, you have been saved, you have been made new, and you have been now in that salvation given the ear of the Father. So in your hour of need, you can turn to Him and know that He knows your need and has a plan on how He's going to meet your need. In your hour of uncertainty, He's a God who holds all time in its place. And it may not go the way that you want to on the field this season, but man, you can be certain that the God who sees the entire season will carry it out to a glorious ending in the end. When you pray and you're heard, do do, do you believe you're heard because you're loved and liked and invited or because you prayed the right way, in the right order, with the right frequency? You see, it's grace the whole way through. And you and I have been invited to pray constantly. So if you're anxious, pray. Worry, pray. Angry, pray. Bitter, pray. Happy, praise. (laughs) Self-sufficient, repent and pray. I got, a, I got a, a remedy for anything you're going through. It starts with pray to the Father, by the Spirit, through the Son. If you need prayer, we want to pray for you. Our prayer team's going to come to the altar. We invite you to move as the Lord leads. And let's respond as he has given us his word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand. 